0: Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics podcast. My name is Mike Lewis. I am joined by Mr. Doug Battle. Uh, We are brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center, and as always, there is a lot more behind the scenes that you can find at, it it is actually our new website, www.fandomanalytics.com. Really a great storehouse, if I say so myself, a storehouse of knowledge related to a lot of things, I was going to say all things, but a lot of things fandom, analytics, sports analytics, and something that we are building out more every day. How are you today, Doug?
1: I'm doing well. Uh, Last week, I made three predictions for the NBA draft, and they all came true. Um, Those were for the first three picks. So that happened. And then Georgia finally found their quarterback, uh, maybe a little too late as they're basically eliminated from everything for this year. But it was fun to watch Georgia throw the football this weekend. Fan Doug over here is is uh, doing pretty well. That's awesome. So
0: the projection of the NBA draft, you know, we we can we can have this be a theme. Um, how many picks in a row can you go? Um, I should have kept going. Projecting the top three. Yeah,
1: yeah. I predict. <laughs> you asked me to pick three, and I got three right. But I should have kept going. Although I will say. I would not have picked uh, the the fourth pick, the kid out of FSU. I thought he would go a lot later than where he went. So um, it's probably a good thing that we stopped at three, but I don't know. I feel like if you did the whole first round, drafts are tough because one move by one team, one trade, one unexpected thing, and every pick after that changes.
0: Well, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole here, but – post-draft, um, you have any appetite for grading out the winners or the losers? or let, let, Let's... let's Because, like I said, this could go on a long time. So, who's who's the big winner of the draft, and um, is there anyone you want to call out as having uh, blown the situation?
1: I You know, I like to pick winners and losers a couple of years down the road when it comes to NBA drafts, but... No, no, now that's, that's too legitimate. We yeah. are in the... <laughs>
0: we're in this let's be sports sports radio here for a moment and sort of just go off the rails
1: so i was thinking golden state warriors big winner with they finally got their big man and james wiseman i was thinking and i wrote an article uh in the summer about how i thought they would contend for a championship this year how that number two pick would be a big part of it i thought it was a perfect fit and then clay thompson tore his achilles that day So they actually ended up being the losers of draft day, even though um, they may have had the best situation work out for them as far as their draft pick. Number four, uh, the Bulls with Patrick Williams. I mentioned that one earlier out of FSU. That one really surprised me. Um, To be fair, though, past those top three, the next couple prospects were all big ifs to me. Uh, Guys like Isaac Okoro out of Auburn. So that one was iffy. I know a lot of people think the Hawks won. Actually, I said this last week, and I love Killian Hayes um, out of France, and he went to the Pistons. So I think those were all good draft picks. But post-draft has been even more exciting than the draft. I mean, the as is the case in almost every season, just about every role player is on a different team. Like, guys are getting traded. Uh, free agency crazy right now. The Lakers – seems like they're going to have almost an entirely different supporting cast for LeBron next year. Montrez Harrell out of the Clippers joined over there. Uh, Dennis Schroeder out of the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, was traded for. Danny Green is gone. Rajon Rondo is gone. So uh, a lot of movement in the NBA, and that's always fun for NBA fans to keep up with.
0: Uh, you know i agree i think that's what's the great thing about the off season right is this um and, and then one of my frequent themes in the podcast is the the importance of hope and the nba draft brings hope a lot of times off season movement brings hope right it's like you know we didn't win last year so let's shake things up and see if we can uh, come up with a better team going into the season it really is one of the one of the magical elements of sport sports is like well, you know, I'm a, I'm a marketing professor by trade and a statistician by training, but sports is obviously my favorite thing to talk about. You know, as we go into, I don't know, where are we? It's sort of really the, the heart of the college football in the NFL seasons. I think they've got the, um, remind me, the, the first official college playoff poll comes out later this week, I believe the NFL we are really starting to get into the nitty-gritty of the playoff chase and so it's
1: uh you know this is a fun time to be a football fan yeah and especially in 2020 when we thought we might not have football it's like I still don't take it for granted every week when I would get to watch my team play it's just like man this is so great just that we have football like if we didn't have football this year would have been that much worse although I will say uh Big 2020 bummer yesterday was Joe Burrow tearing his ACL. One of my favorite players um, has been since he was a college player. I watched him tear up my team twice in person, and Mm. I kind of, like, weirdly enjoyed it, not in a masochistic way, but more in, like, I appreciate his talent very much so. But big bummer to see him go down with the ACL yesterday. Hope he comes back strong. Um, But NFL, man, across the board. It's an
0: interesting... Well, let's stay there for a second. I mean, it's an yeah. interesting quarterback class in terms of how it's playing out. Yeah. Uh, Tua sat down yesterday. They're obviously not giving up on him, but acclimating him to the starting job slowly, yeah. I guess, might be a way, way to look at it. Uh, but um, the, you know, Herbert Justin seems Herbert. to be the, seems to be the, well, I, you know, I don't know. I don't want to reach a conclusion yet, but. You know, doing very well as a rookie.
1: Yeah, he uh, he didn't start from day one like Joe Burrow. Um So he's coming a little later. Maybe teams have less film on him. And you see that sometimes where guys go off their first couple games and then it, it kind of um, steadies out over time. But Justin Herbert's been a stud. Thankfully, I had him on my fantasy team uh, or drafted him on my fantasy team. <laughs> um, and I'm still excited to see you know, what becomes of this class. I think Tua is kind of a boomer bust player in the sense that he's got an injury history, but he's also so flashy. Um, I think I think even a guy like Jacob Eason with the Colts could take over at some point and be the guy that sticks out out of this class. He and Justin Herbert have a ton in common. Uh, they are built almost exactly the same. Uh, <laughs> they wear the same number. I mean, they, they look like clones of each other, and he's yet to play. Um, Joe Burrow was the early star of this class, though, and, and seeing him go down um, you know, makes you question whether he will be the one that ends up being the guy or if it's going to be a guy like Justin Herbert. It's,
0: it is it is one of my favorite, and it's something I've been trying to spend a little bit more time on in terms of really digging into the analytics. I'm sort of in the process of building a database related to NFL quarterbacks, and yeah. actually we're, we're now at the point where we're fleshing this out to incru- include data on supporting players, running backs, and wide receivers as well. But I'll, I'll say this, and you know, talk about sort of foreshadowing way into the future, but I'm really hoping to be ready with a, a package of NFL quarterback statistics and some advanced analytics going into the next NFL draft. Because this is, uh, like I said, I mean, you really take any quarterback class, and these things are. There's a lot of fun debate going into them. There's a lot of fun debate for years and years. You know, you know, you look at this NFL season, Mitch Trubisky versus Patrick Mahomes. Yes. The
1: it'll be Lawrence versus Fields. You know, I mean.
0: Lawrence. Yeah. And we can, so we can even set them up into the future. And and so this is, you know, when you say that kind of a boom or bust kind of player in, in Tua, that may be a big part of the key to doing the analytics right for, for quarterbacks. It, it frankly, it's amazing how often, and you know, and th- this is a tough one, right? Cause I'm not sure that I'm, I may be just sort of lapsing into being a kind of fan observational, uh analysis rather than being systematic but it seems amazing the number of times where quarterbacks picked in the top 10 just don't pan out
1: yeah i'll say this i was thinking about this and this is something we could probably put together a study for um when when you get some of that database put together is that to me like the formula for becoming a goat in the quarterback conversation, like top five, all time, top 10, all time quarterback um, is to be one of those overlooked guys because you fall onto a better team. You have better protection. Your health therefore is in better shape. uh, Your performance is better. You tend to win more championships when you play for a better team. Uh, When you look at the guys in the league that are kind of in that conversation, obviously Tom Brady was a super late draft pick and he could have gone anywhere, but the fact that he was a six rounder, Uh, made it so that he could go to one of the better franchises in the league, whereas a guy like Joe Burrow uh, goes to a terrible franchise, and he has no offensive line. I don't know if you watched the Bengals at all this year, but he was running. I mean, it was just a matter of time uh, before something like that happened. And I honestly, after that draft, I thought, you know, I think Herbert, Tua, and even Jacob Eason could have better careers than Joe, and I think Joe's the best quarterback out of all of them. But it's just a matter of – where you go um, over the years, like I said, like Russell Wilson, he was not a top guy. Patrick Mahomes, he was not a top guy. And you look at some of the like most highly touted quarterbacks over the years that were, uh, Matthew Stafford went to the Detroit Lions. Like, yeah, he made them a playoff contender, but he's never going to be considered in the GOAT conversation, doesn't have any rings. Uh, Andrew Luck. He was probably the most heralded quarterback going into the NFL in my lifetime. Um, and he had a he had a fine career. I mean, he was fantastic for those that watch the Colts, but he inherited such a tough situation. He dealt with a lot of injuries in part because of an offensive line situation that wasn't the best, just like Joe Burrow. And uh, it seems that maybe the GOAT like what's considered the goat even Aaron Rodgers like he was he was not a top guy either. Uh, those guys aren't necessarily the best talents coming in but they're they're a nice mix of like potential with a great situation, great coaching, great supporting cast and uh maybe Matthew Stafford or Andrew Luck would have been better than than Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady had they gone to the Packers or Patriots, who knows. You
0: know, it's an interesting um you know just as you go through that it yeah. kind of Makes me think about a couple of things. Um, you know, one the the classic reference reference might be taking it a little too strong, but the the classic reference for uh, intuition about the quarterback success will always be the Parcells rules. And I'm not going to be able to quote them verbatim, but it's something like you've got a history of winning, you graduate, and, and so it's these these kind of these informal heuristics to get at things related to. You know, being a winner, being mature, um, being uh, smart, being uh, determined. But what you're saying is, is kind of right in the line of you know some of the stuff we're starting to look at in terms of sort of like building in the building in the support structures and how much of that stuff really really matters. Because I, I look, I remember when we did the NFL draft preview, and I remember bringing up the point of it just seems tough if you start your career at, and and I don't actually, you know, I, I tend to pick more on the Browns than on the Bengals. Yeah. But when you start your career in those, in, in some of those places versus some other places, for example, that seem to have more of these kind of histories of winning that these, you know, the quarterback does not exist in isolation. And I think that's really what you're getting at. And so, how much of the the stuff around that player determines eventual performance and it's um it's a, it's, it's a great topic and it's really uh it, it's a complicated topic to dig into analytically but I, I think you're dead on that that's the direction that some of this has to go
1: yeah the, I think the most fascinating part of the quarterback discussion to me is the emphasis on winning that's always been um, incredible to me how much value, people put on that for a quarterback as if the quarterback is solely responsible for wins and losses and uh, I remember even at Georgia the infamous Jake Fromm versus Justin Fields debate Justin Fields did not play on a great high school team and I think he went about 500 his senior year Jake Fromm led Georgia to a national championship as a freshman um, on a team that relied heavily On the running game and on the defense and during that discussion most people or or many georgia fans considered jake Fromm to be the better quarterback because he was a winner he he was part of georgia's team that went to a championship game while fields was you know winning half of his high school games and yeah he was flashy but he wasn't a winner um to me it was like if you put fields on that team it's a different story. It's it's about who you surround them with. And I think it's the same goes for, I was, at one point, I was a proponent of, uh, I thought Aaron Rodgers would have had a better career than Tom Brady had they played on a comparable team. Had they played with the same talent, same coaches, I thought he was the better. I thought he was the GOAT. Um And people say, no, Brady has six rings. Brady has six rings. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's- well, you know what? I mean, that's kind of the the, the beauty and the, the conversation really encapsulates the beauty of doing sports analytics, right? Um, I, I, you know, some fans have this metric, right? Where he's got six rings, you got all
1: the statistics in the world. Sounds like a push. Let's have another drink kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's part of what makes sports great. Um, but it's also, yeah. from an analytics standpoint, I mean, I guess you can never level the playing field totally with these quarterbacks. But I do think you can project, um, you know, who's more likely to be successful out of a draft class between some higher drafted guys and some later round or even later pick guys. Okay. So let me ask you another
0: question in terms of projecting and I'm going to, I'm going to go on record. Suddenly I'm really enjoying the the two football seasons because you know, from where I sit, I love nothing more than chaos in sports. That's that's to me the most fascinating thing when start when stuff starts to play out in weird ways. You know, maybe this is the academic in me, the statistician. It's like now we got all these kind of live experiments going on. Who are you going to predict is going to be the eventual winner of the NFC East? <laughs>
1: I hate this situation because I'm a Giants fan and I've been wanting them to tank and they just refuse. Um, So (laughs) three and seven. Yeah. Redskins. Redskins got a dub yesterday. Um, Giants are, I mean the whole, everybody's still, I think it's all, it's all three and seven with the Eagles winning by a half
0: game at three, six and one. Yeah.
1: And Eagles fans want Carson Wentz, uh, benched for Jalen Hurts um, and they're, they're top of the division. So yeah, a uh, 35% win percentage for them. Giants are right at 300. So are, are the Cowboys and the Redskins. So like we said a few weeks ago, each of these teams is within probably, I guess they're all within three games of the first pick in the draft. Um, they're all within a half a game of, you know, of, of home playoff game. Um, Who's my prediction? I don't think the Giants, as a Giants fan, without Saquon Barkley. I don't know. I mean, I guess all these teams are bad. Actually, I'll take the Cowboys. <laughs> We're talking about um, a chaos year. How about Andy Dalton lead the Cowboys to the playoffs? And I, I don't yeah. like the Cowboys. I ta- actually hate them. So I'm going with the Cowboys.
0: I'm a hundred percent with you. I'm a hundred percent with you. I was thinking exactly the Cowboys as well with Andy Dalton coming back um, off of injury and COVID. I believe that it, it. It and how beautiful is it, right? For in some ways, well, you, you know, you, you tell me if I'm wrong here, but the biggest villain in the NFL has. Almost always been the Cowboys. I mean, they probably have the most fans, but they are also the most hated team. It's kind of a beautiful situation. And so the Cowboys limping into the playoffs a game or two below 500, that's a beautiful situation.
1: Yeah. Uh, We talk about how people hate the Cowboys. uh, That division, as a Giants fan, I know. Giants fans feel like the Cowboys are their rival. Uh, Obviously, Redskins fans feel that way. I think Eagles fans feel – I think all three of those teams feel like their primary rival is Cowboys, not, you know, any other team in the division. So (laughs) I just could see it happen. It would be so 2020. The other thing about it is, like, the Cowboys haven't had playoff success in so long. And Mm -hmm. how crazy would it be for them to finally have that success in a year where they lost their starting quarterback, uh, and it's just a, a fluke year, it seems for everyone else. So the other thing that I would add to,
0: and you know, maybe we can link to um, link to the study I'm going to reference here but below the podcast this week. You know, I do these um, I do these fan base analyses. I haven't done the NFL yet. I may well do that over the next couple of weeks in preparation for the playoffs, but these. Analytics related to the best fan bases in the NFL has been kind of a hit for the the website mm-hmm. in, in past years. the The reason I bring this up is that there's a lot of the top brands in the NFL and the NFC East that year in year out, the Cowboys are one of the top brands in the league and no surprise there. The Giants are almost always in the top six. And one of the one of the teams that I've been surprised by for years and years is that the Eagles are also a frequent top six team. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it's a strange year for the NFL. And, I mean, a strange year for everyone. But for the NFL, on top of everything else, to not have even a respectable team in the NFC East is... Is, is kind of a recipe for disaster in terms of fan interest. But I, I think this is playing out in such a chaotic year that, for the most part, people are kind of enjoying it. Though, you know, you could almost imagine a strange scenario where there's just wholesale carnage in terms of coaches and uh, changes to those, uh, to those rosters. I'll point out one other thing that really kind of struck with me and this is this is kind of a very very this is the the smallest point ever made in the history of the show is the washington football team the wfts wore throwback jerseys
1: yesterday throwback to to uh <laughs> their previous racist days
0: <laughs> i have i have no idea but it just struck me as i and look they're good looking jerseys but You know,
1: throwbacks. (laughs) Yeah, it's just funny to do throwbacks when you're rebranding and you're trying to distance yourself from that old brand (laughs) that is iconic and uh, that Gardner's such a huge fan base. But at the same time, I could understand them doing that for uh, the sake of making old Washington R-Word fans feel like it's still their team.
0: Okay, so the, the other thing that I'm enjoying, uh, the, the college football season also has so much chaos and strangeness. Um, so this, this last week, I, I don't even really know where to start. I'll, let, me, let me throw out three things, and, and you can decide which one we uh, dig into a little bit. So number one, uh, Clemson is upset that Florida State basically refused to play them. Um, Uh, doesn't want to reschedule that unless Florida State pays all travel costs. Number two, um, Washington or BYU, I forget which one, is potentially reaching out to play the other one. So a little non-conference schedule. And um, number three, just the real strangeness of the Big Ten season where you've got Northwestern and Indiana decimating opponents and I, I think Penn State who have let me let me check something here real quick. In the preseason poll, Penn State was ranked way too high. Uh number seven. Yeah. And I believe they are winless at the moment. So Penn State and Michigan struggling beyond belief.
1: Uh well, northwest. But of course, Ohio State keeps winning, right? Um, yeah, we'll start with with that one because my favorite Penn State storyline is forgotten. Uh, it, this this ties into my Georgia fandom a little bit. I'll I'll just be upfront about that. Everyone loves to hate on Georgia for losing Justin Fields. Uh, what people forget is that Justin Fields, before committing to Georgia, was committed to Penn State. How different would things be for James Franklin and the Nittany Lions had Justin Fields kept his commitment and gone to Penn State? I think things would look a lot different in the Big Ten this year. Uh, But along the lines of Big Ten, and we'll get back to those other two, uh, but I I do got to say, Mike, I know you're trying to be unbiased and not talk about your team, but how about the the Fighting Illini with a big win over uh, more of a football school and Nebraska, which has suffered under Scott Frost in recent years. And the thing that stood out to me the most about this game was not the game itself, but the Twitter aggression from Illinois Athletics, tweeting, good game, Nebraska. Thanks for bringing back Big Ten football.
0: (laughs) I did not know about the Twitter aggression. That that makes me really, okay, I got, I'm going to admit, really mixed feelings, and... I'm not, I'm not proud of what I'm about to say, Uh but even if I'm, you know, living in the world of analytics, I cannot separate myself out from the fandom and, you know, the, the Illini struggling as they have for years, there's, you know, can only sort of hope for part of, part of you as a fandom has to root for change and change usually occurs when the team keeps losing. Um and look, I've told multiple people right that the the consequence of Lovey getting these couple of victories or maybe three victories or four victories throughout the season, is that we drop out of the um we we drop out of the uh, what's coaching the coaching
1: so. oh who's who are y'all we we, on we, we,
0: we drop out of the we drop out of the Trevor Lawrence um lottery right you know I mean <laughs> yeah well, so. It's it's really with with mixed feelings, and you get this a little bit. I mean, as a Georgia fan, you're very much kind of, you know, you're looking forward to going eleven and zero instead of nine and two. Mm-hmm. But it's very frustrating as a fan to be sort of going nowhere. Well, it's right? like being to a be Giants winning, fan, let's say three games a year. Yeah. Well, to be winning three games a year, but no. But no change, right? And you got again, this this idea of hope, right? You gotta have something to it's okay for your team to win three games a year. You just gotta feel like they're going in the right direction.
1: Yeah, if, it's like if you're not winning a championship or at least competing or moving toward competing for a championship, you want to be tanking because you want a huge change where that can become more of a reality. Um, so for the Giants, for example, they have a two game winning streak two weeks ago. They were very much in the running for the number one pick. Now it seems out of the question, do those two wins mean anything? I mean, I guess we can make it to the playoff and lose uh, in the first round. But I'd rather get Trevor Lawrence and be, you know, one of the top teams for the next yeah. 15 years or have a chance to be.
0: It means you go – those two wins mean you get the top-rated um, guard in the draft rather than Trevor <laughs> Lawrence.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and it means that maybe the Cowboys or Redskins, one of the teams that we have to play every week, uh, maybe they have a better shot at a better player now. So, uh, there's a there's an aspect in sports where winning is losing uh, when you're when you're at a certain level. I think certainly in the NBA, some of those teams, I know the Atlanta Hawks for the longest time were like a eight seed, six seed, eight seed, seven seed in that range, and like they they were in NBA purgatory where they could. In the NBA, you have to have a top player. Um, the two ways you do that are either by tanking and doing it in the draft or being really good and attracting super teams to form, you know, on, on your roster. And when you're stuck in that position where you're always an eight seed, always a first round out, you're not getting an extremely talented player in the draft. You're getting, you know, kind of mid-level role players, um, and you're not getting those guys in free agency either. So it, it's kind of the case across sports and leagues.
0: Okay, so let me let's let's switch over to what's always and like I said, I'm I'm suddenly really enjoying sports at this moment. You know, I feel like maybe my COVID hangover is finally wearing off. College football playoff. So oh, the yeah. initial the initial official poll coming out, uh, ESPN has their top four at this moment being Alabama, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and at number four. The Cincinnati Bearcats.
1: Wow. I did not realize they were going to be in the mix. Um, Or I guess that they would be in that four spot this early. So you said Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Cincinnati? No. No Clemson.
0: Alabama, Ohio Ohio State. State. Or I think it's Alabama, Notre Notre Dame, Dame, Ohio State,
1: State, Cincinnati, and then the
0: Bearcats.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's one where in time I would expect, uh, like, say, for example, I mean, Clemson and Notre Dame play each other again in the ACC championship. So one of those, either Clemson's going to be eliminated or they're going to win and there's going to be that whole conversation, well, they didn't have Trevor Lawrence when they lost, so they're undefeated with Trevor Lawrence, and the only team they lost to they beat with him. Uh, so, I, you know, I kind of still see it being those four um, with a team like Cincinnati being out. But we still have so many undefeated teams like Cincinnati that technically have a shot um, and are going to stake their claim for a title probably if they go undefeated and don't make the playoff. So if
0: BYU is able to schedule this game with Washington,
1: does that make you feel better about BYU? No. <laughs>
0: It's Washington.
1: <laughs> I mean, Washington's all right, but like if you're going to schedule somebody <laughs> to be, to build your resume, why don't you just go ahead and schedule Ohio State? <laughs> why don't you go ahead and schedule Clemson? Um they don't want to do that cuz they know what will happen, and so they schedule like a Power 5 school that's kind of like has a little bit of a reputation like, yeah, they were in the playoff that first year and lost by like 35 points. Um, but they, they've been a playoff team before, and they've got a, a recognizable and respectable head coach, so we'll play them. I, I don't like that move. I say go hard or go home. Like you either you either win out on your week, saw schedule, and you say, oh, well, we didn't play anybody, but if we had, we would have beaten them, or you go play the big boys and you just find out.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, this is an old story, and at some point, it probably is the thing that pushes the playoff to an eight-team format. So one of these non-Power 5 teams can get in in any given year, I I think. Okay, so uh, I want to move forward to talking a little bit about what's going to be a continuing theme for for the show and for the, the blog, for the website over the next month or two and that is, well, name, image, and likeness legislation or rule changes. Mm-hmm. But before I start to go down that path, is there any uh, any last words in yes. terms of what are you looking forward to this week in
1: sports? Well, I do want to say one more thing about this last week. Um, this has gone a little bit under the radar, but Auburn basketball issued a self-imposed NCAA uh, punishment for a cheating scandal that happened the year, I believe, of their Final Four run. Um, at the time, they had an internal investigation, found no wrongdoing. Um, internal investigation lingered last year. They felt like might be their window, no wrongdoing. This year, Auburn is not necessarily going to make the tournament. From what I've heard, There, this is kind of a down year for them. Um, there's also question as to whether there will be a tournament this year. And so Auburn, all of a sudden, their internal investigation has found that there were some violations and they're going to self-impose a um, postseason ban in a year where they're unlikely to make the postseason or where there may not even be a postseason. And that's going to be their punishment, self-imposed, and that should keep them from uh, facing any kind of NCAA things down the road.
0: Who's who's the coach at Auburn these days? Bruce Pearl. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, it, it's a remarkably successful career but really a career that has you know if there isn't a current scandal there's a scandal in the rearview mirror right i mean that's um that that that's a tough one i mean it, but i i do think that's a that's a that's a interesting point to bring up as we switch over to this conversation about name image and likeness it, you know for this has always been a you know the the issue of paying players has been out there forever, right? And the, and the traditional argument was always, uh, on one side, well, you know, there's big TV deals and the stadiums are full and the people drawing in the fans drawing in their revenue, uh, they should be compensated for their 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 efforts. And on the other side, the traditional argument has really been that. Well, they get a scholarship and they get an opportunity. Now, over the last couple of years and really, actually, I should probably go back to, uh, we'll, we'll avoid the history, too much of the history at this point. I, I think you know, there have been some focal moments like the Ed O'Bannon lawsuit, mm-hmm. um, then last year, some of the legislative efforts in places like California, then followed by a couple of other states, that we're still not talking about having the universities or the colleges pay the players, but there has been considerable movement towards letting the players essentially leverage their own brands and kind of earn on their own. And and so what we're looking forward to now is probably some, some, some rule changes that allow players to do endorsement deals, to build YouTube channels uh, and even stuff to, you know, be sponsor, uh, to do sponsorship deals for, you know, the, maybe the local car dealership mm-hmm. or even some national brands. And one of the stranger ones is that they'll also have the rights to run their own camps. So, so Doug, as, as someone, you know, coming at this from a, a different generation, I, I think the, the tone of the conversation about paying the players has changed over the years. It, you know, what, what's your two cents on name, image and likeness?
1: Yeah, uh, I talked to quite a bit of these guys that are college superstars on my other podcast, um, Savage Pads Podcast.
0: Well, why don't you do a shout-out to them?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of dropped it in there, Savage Pads Podcast uh, for Georgia football. Uh, but, you know, I, I've had this discussion with quite a few guys, and I know a handful of guys that suffered injuries and things of that nature that were not able to ever make money off of their – athletic abilities and the work that they put in uh, it's not just a blessing I mean there's yes they're blessed with talent but there's a lot of work I mean those guys sacrifice a lot and put their bodies through a lot they risk a lot um, you look at CTE and the, the issues uh, that that presents in football and so there's there's absolutely an argument to be made and I, I think it's it's almost harder to make an argument against players monetizing their own image, their own likeness. I know it likely gets complicated uh, when you start dealing with the other brands that are licensed. So, you know, like having a G on in in your YouTube video all of a sudden becomes an issue between the player and the school. And I know it can get messy there. Uh, but at the end of the day, anyone else on campus, there's kids on campus that are musicians uh, that are making money off of their image and likeness. And there's, kids on campus, you know, pretty much any other I mean, I I was making money in school. (laughs) Like I could have been doing the podcast thing, making (laughs) money, talking to these guys and they're not getting paid for it. So um yeah, it's it's kind of insane to me that they haven't already been paid. But you gotta understand that this is a business and that (laughs) there's little uh eagerness to change things from the people that are that are really capitalizing off of uh, college football because you can imagine once players can make money off their own image and likeness you know that schools are gonna use that to compete they're gonna have ways to little loopholes um, to have players technically monetizing their own image and likeness but where the school is helping them grow an audience and grow uh, where they can make as much money as possible at said school and at that point it becomes more the schools paying the players in a sense um, and then it, it opens a whole like no, no, another can of worms where uh, money can get split up beyond just, you know, these these athletic departments and schools. So that's I think that's a
0: good introduction. So what we're going to be doing, and this is going to be primarily on the blog, and that's um, fandomanalytics.com is really just kind of devoting a lot of attention to the the topic of paying the players and to name, image and likeness. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of a, it's a topic that's really in the, the sweet spot for what I do and for what the show does mm-hmm. as there's really, there, there's a lot of marketing implications. There's a lot of elements of fandom that, that come into this. Uh, what you're going to see on the blog is a combination of, uh, commentary, uh, sort of direct uh, almost opinion pieces where I'm going to dive into a little bit of the basics I mean you, you captured some of this some of the key themes there's a lot of complexity in terms of you know I mentioned that the players are going to be able to sort of build their own brands mm-hmm. but there's a lot of complexity in terms of how the different brands are going to work together um, there's also real questions about how these brands have been built over time and who should you know what what is equity in all this Uh, The second element of this is I'm going to do some commentary of the published pieces. This is going to be a popular topic as we go into the the NCAA meeting in January. So uh, again, on on the blog, on the website, we sort of uh, corralling or archiving some of the, the key pieces, some of the key ideas, and doing a little bit of a deeper dive or explanation of those. Some... Original analysis will also be presented. I have spent the weekend gathering data um, on Instagram accounts and some associated data with what may be driving the size of Instagram accounts. And, and then the final thing is I'm going to actually pull some stuff, some blasts for the past. I've actually spent a lot of time... Uh, over really the last decade, digging into what has built sports brands or the value of players to schools, and so I'm going to pull some of that from the old blog, which was the uh, my Emory blog, my official Emory blog, to the to the new site. So there will be a a lot of content going forward. Okay,
1: so last word, uh, what are you rooting for this week, Doug? Uh, I'm rooting for Baby Yoda first and foremost. And I'm pulling for uh, the Georgia Bulldogs co- to continue. I'm hoping that JT Daniels' 400-yard performance was not a fluke on Saturday and that they have found their quarterback every week from here on out is kind of all about that for Georgia fans. So that's something I'm excited about.
0: Okay, so the foreshadowing is heavy this week. So Doug, uh, Doug's due a shout-out for Baby Yoda. Um, every once in a while on the blog and on the podcast we go a little bit beyond sports right this this idea of fandom is important in everything all aspects of entertainment politics etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, we are going to do a special episode sometime in the near future where we're going to dig a little bit into the mandalorian sort of relate some of the, the key themes that we talk about in relationship to sports to an entertainment product i am busy catching up on the Mandalorian show. Um at this point, I'm far behind Doug. He's rooting for Baby Yoda. I, I don't know how this show turns out.
1: I'm rooting for the Mandalorian. I yeah, I don't want to spoil anything, but uh but I am looking forward to that episode. <laughs> I do think fandom, uh like we've said in many episodes in the past, like obviously it goes beyond sports. And I think some of the fandoms uh, in, in the kind of the nerdier sectors of entertainment are the most fun fandoms to to explore. So I'm looking forward to exploring the Star Wars fandom with you.
0: Happy Thanksgiving, everyone.
1: Happy Thanksgiving.